This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ACME. Hi everyone. Thank you for coming. I'm Emma McRae. I'm one of the curators here at ACME and I'm very pleased to welcome you to tonight's In Conversation between Philippe Pereno and Dr. Amelia Barrican. Um, some introductions. Philippe Pereno probably doesn't need a lot of introduction for many of you, but he is a key artist of his generation and someone who really has worked as a collaborative artist for many, many years, working with a wide spectrum of artists and curators throughout his career. Philippe's work challenges us to reevaluate the relationship between reality and fiction, and he works across film, sculpture, drawing and text, and takes the exhibition itself as a medium of practice. Philippe takes inspiration from many, many areas, including cinema, science fiction, cybernetics, and the avant-garde, and he works with sounds, images, and lighting and programming to bring to life exhibitions that radically challenge our notions of reality, memory, and the passage of time. He's recently opened a show at the Turbine Hall at the Tate Modern in London called Anywhen, and in the last few years he has had shows at the Palais de Tokyo in Paris, at Pirelli Hangar Bicocca, at the Serpentine Gallery in London, and at the Park Avenue Armory in New York. Dr. Mm. Amelia Barrican um, is a lecturer in art history at the School of Communication and Arts at the University of Queensland, and her research often focuses on the relationship between art and time. Amelia has taught on modern and contemporary art, art theory and curatorship, and has published widely. Her book, Parallel Presence, The Art of Pierre Huyghe, was published by MIT Press in 2012, and her co-edited anthology, edited with Helen Hughes, called Making Worlds, Art and Science Fiction, was published by Surplus in 2013. Last year, Amelia co-curated with Victoria Lin the Tarawara International Biennial featuring Pierre Huyghe. That title was reversed, but yeah. Um, so please welcome Philippe and Amelia. Great. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for having me. A special thanks to ACME for uh, enabling this to occur. It's a great opportunity for me. In fact, I mean, it's been many years since I've been thinking about Philippe's work, but we didn't ever get a chance to talk about it, so this is an excuse for us to do it in public, <laughs> I think. Um, what we've done is just put together a couple of images, but we're going to rove fairly loosely and widely. It's an improvised nature. We have an hour, so just bear with us while we track through it. But I wanted to first think about, perhaps, before we get into the specifics of this particular exhibition, uh, that idea of the exhibition as a form in and of itself, and perhaps how that might relate to your early time in Grenoble. You could maybe... Um, since it's good? a retrospective, we have to go back in time. Um, Grenoble, uh, yeah, because I grew up, I grew up in Grenoble, and I went to uh, the art school there in Grenoble. And at the time, um, Grenoble was peculiar because it was, I think, at the time they called it an open city. It meant really nothing apart from the fact that a lot of uh, um, of uh, political refugee will come to Grenoble. 
so there was a sort of a lot of uh, ongoing conversation between the elite of uh, of uh, of the um, of, of you know, the elite of the culture. You know, the cultural elite will come from different places in the world. So I was exposed to a, a lot of ideas. So I was lucky, and um, and then right uh, at the beginning when I joined the art school. <coughs> um, an art center was created, Le Magasin, which still exists today. And uh, so I was not really uh, clearly determined to uh, embrace an artistic activity at the time. I was kind of like, quite uh, sceptic about it. But uh, I started to work as a as a art handler in the art center and, um, and then assisting artists to um, so uh, I spent time with artists, uh, Larry Wiener, Daniel Buren, all these guys, and was basically doing, uh, assisting them to produce specific work for the, the, the art center. And then, of course, when the show will, will, uh, t will uh, end, I will be the one painting the world white again. Mm. So my relation to an uh, exhibition was pretty much uh, uh, about uh, you know, flickering you know, form, you know, that thing that would come and disappear. And, uh, and I came uh, way later interested by uh, Mism. Mism for, was not for me my, uh, uh, my cup of tea, you know. And so art centers, yes, and, and uh, theater. There was also a place in Grenoble called La Maison de la Culture, the house of culture, where, where a lot of dancers, choreographers, um, were producing fantastic works. So I was exposed to all that, and mm. cinema. Um, so the corpus of activity mm. and, uh, and uh, yeah. so your sense of an exhibition really was tied to a, a temporal duration in a way I mean you're working with these huge industrial spaces mm -hmm. already with dance and cinema in the same kind of frame and uh, the museum wasn't seen as a place for I guess the preservation of objects with the collection but as a stage or a platform for something to occur in yeah, everything for me, was, um, a practice of art was ephemeral by nature. You know, it was first of all conversational, so I was engaging with conversation with a young artist, and, uh, and it was ephemeral. I didn't have a studio, I didn't have a, we just talked together and produced ideas. It was an idea-based pro production. And, uh, but at the time, I was even, we were even, uh, we, were, we were appearing as a group, you know, of, uh, and the name of the group will change according to the project. So I was this is with uh, Dominique with Dominique Gonzalez Gonzalez Foster, Foster. You know, so we called each other Ozone, and then it was the first time we worked together, and then there was another group called Hyper Hyper, and then another, we changed all the time, Siberia was another one, so we changed the, the, the name of the, of the group by naming it after the project. So I was pretty much uh, obsessed by the by project and completely... Um, and, and for me, an object was an, an old idea, a mm. 9th century idea. I didn't really have any, I, don't, I didn't have any relation to it. It took me a lot of time to understand its value. You do make some objects, though. No, I do, yeah, absolutely. But I like to contradict myself. So oh, yeah. The pleasure of being an artist. <laughs> like, I mean, the, we have, you have drawings, <coughs> you have the marquees are very sculptural, you have a certain, you do have, have made things that are quite material as well as or a film. I think it's really important to emphasise, I mean, although this is a, ostensibly a retrospective of your film projects, the mm. films themselves only play a very, maybe one-third of the role of the exhibition as a whole, mm. so... The balance. 
Yes, the thing that we looked uh, at, at them again when we, uh, when Nicola and Jonathan and, and Johan, when we uh, had to uh, try to put some sound with it, yeah, and uh, so I watched watch, uh, them again. I didn't see them in many years, and some of them are not really interesting, and uh, because they were not planned to be, uh, they were really documents, you know. Mm. Uh, I was telling you that I was a doubt about being an artist. I really doubt uh, every part of it. Every, each, I mean, everything for me was problematic. So to produce a work was problematic. To name it was problematic. To uh, sign it was even more problematic. So, um, so a lot of things were construction that will... Uh, for example, I did a, a film that uh, we decided not to show because it was not really uh, interesting to watch since it was a document of a something that took place, but it's, uh, uh, I was invited to do a, to do a, a work, uh, I was a young artist, um, for the opening of a new museum in France, in Marseille, and I decided not to uh, produce any works, but just to work on to the ritual of the uh, opening ceremony you know, of the museum. So I knew that the Minister of Culture will come and give a speech. So what I did is that I asked uh, a famous uh, imitator, an impersonator, um, who was uh, famous on TV because he had a sort of a TV show where he was uh, commenting on the political kind of uh, uh, events of the day using the voice of the politicians. So I asked him to come and, uh, and open the, and to give a speech and open, you know, with the scissors, cut the ribbon and open the, the museum before the Minister of Culture will come. And uh, which caused a bit of a riot, but we <laughs> succeeded to, to, to do it. And, uh, and you see, what is, I was interested by something quite, I was, it was, well, it was funny, because he was funny. You know, he cut the robin and, and he went to the podium, like that, you know, and uh, <laughs> start to talk about the meaning of, an, you know, what it means today to open a museum with the voice of the Minister of Culture, you know, making a parody of a discourse. And then uh, when he finished, uh, we saw like all the officials coming in and they have to tape back the ribbon. <laughs> and then the real one came, did the same thing. And when he started to talk, everybody laughed, you know? Okay. It was, uh, <laughs> That's great. And the reason why, so this was short, but of course the film doesn't have any. This is in the 80s or uh, late, early 90s. Uh, early 90s, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and I was, uh, so I saw the film again. I said the film is not again interesting because it's a document shot by I don't know whom. Somebody did it, um, and uh, and what I was interested by was uh, something which is you can't shoot because it's uh, it was all about the fact that um, I reversed the order of things where the command was coming um, before the event. You know? mm. So it was uh, I was trained as a conceptual artist. So for me, was that was my work was that I just changed the order. And in fact, the, talk, the, 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 the speech he gave was called L'Ordre du Discours, The Order of the Discourse, which is a, came out from a famous text from Foucault. So you see, so then the film is there, but the film doesn't really matter, you know, because what you see is a, a guy making a clown and then people vaguely laughing and then, and then it's a bit of autofocus and you see a minister of culture. No, you, don't, you didn't need a film I mean, of it. So you don't need a film of it, but then the story is you know, good to tell, you know. So, most of the film and most of the stuff I was doing at the time were really uh, 
focusing on 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 those problematic you know what it is to uh, what it's what's in an image in a large spectrum uh, what is an event uh, how do you report it uh, you know yeah. well maybe we should look at some pictures <coughs> should we do that jay yeah if I just press this, will it? Yes, thank you. So um, you were thinking about all of these questions while you were going through your old work and trying to choose which ones to show in this box, which is, I mean, I think of now Acme is basically transformed into a music box of some kind. The entire place is filled with sound. Uh, it opens with this sequence of flickering lights and we have these floating, has, have most people been downstairs? Yeah these floating fish, and it's only in the second room that we get to be confronted with this enormous projection screen preceded by the booth of the projectionist, which is also, in a way, announcing the event before it happens with, that, with mm -hmm. the enunciation of the commentary. Um, and on the screen, we have a selection randomly programmed in between other sections of lights from the marquee of, I think, 33 or 34 mm. of your films. Mm -hmm. So obviously uh, it's impossible to see the films. No. In, in fact, you probably, if, even if you came back every day, because they're all randomly selected by the projectionists, you would never really be able to necessarily cover all of the cinematic mm. material in, in this space. Mm. So there is a sense that the the material is exceeding the temporal frame yes. of, of, maybe if you could talk a little bit well, about how this, it is funny. It yeah, actually, there's heaps funny. of humor in this. That you can't uh, see it all because it's too, as you say, it's like too, it's too much, you know? So it's like it's well, uh, one screen to hold 34, one screen with the capacity to hold 34 different images, yeah. but also with the curtains going in yeah. and out to, yeah. you know. Yeah. yeah. So what's your question again? Uh, the question. Oh, I was just thinking about, could you tell us a bit about how this exhibition came into being and the relationship between the different elements oh, yeah. and, yeah. We, we, um, the, the, um, the question of the program was a, a sort of a, became the problem since a, a long time. In fact, uh, how to, we talked about that earlier, but how to, uh, how to, um, uh, inscribe into a, a time frame, you know, uh, or to trigger, you know, events. Um, so we had at the beginning to work with a, with a, a white noise, you know, a, a, a timeline that was, uh, that was running, you know, a noise that was running, and then we hang on that, uh, on that uh, time code uh, events. And uh, that was a protocol of uh, any of the shows that we were doing at the time. And then slowly I tried to get rid of that and, uh, and operate differently either by uh, at the Tate, now we have yeast that uh, controls the show. And here we have people controlling it, but... Uh, you might want to say something about that. I mean, yeast, yeast? yeast controlling the exhibition is a... Obviously it's a way for you to step back as a a choreographer mm -hmm. and displace the responsibility onto a microorganism, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> which is, you know, has its own mm -hmm. challenges, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> well, now they seems to be stuck into a sort of a loophole, so everything is static and doesn't move. Because which, the... Because they are like in a... Because the yeast is happy? They're the statue of statu quo, you know, they, they don't grow and they don't die, so they're just like there and they freeze. <laughs> 
So the show thrills is kind of interesting. <laughs> um, in that case here, it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, it's. But I've been thinking about that for Tate as well. We talked about this idea of having a figure that appears in the Indonesian uh, theater called the Dalang. The Dalang is a puppeteer mm. that uh, operates uh, shadows puppets, mm. but also he conducts uh, the an orchestra mm. and uh, and is able to play like that. Uh, for 10 hours, you know, so he is also, uh, he has a training, you know, to, uh, and I was thinking it would be quite interesting to have, uh, to start to work with uh, non-actors acting, you know, uh, um, but then it didn't happen to Tate, so I tried out here, and to see, uh, so we call them the projectionist, which is kind of an interesting idea as a projectionist. So the people, I've got a picture of that, I think, we have an image of the projectionist, yeah. So this is the screen with the mark. With are you mm -hmm. calling it a marquee? I mean, I'm presuming it's related it's to the marquee. It's a marquee, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because before you were making um, quite explicit, very. Uh, they, I mean, they look like marquees. The yeah. kind of entrances that you'd find above a cinema that would announce the coming of a program, mm -hmm. also to signal that there is a doorway. I guess you know the big flashing lights. <clears throat> that yeah, but you see, it, I didn't really start to. Uh, um, now, it's, yes, it's what it is now, literally. But uh, I didn't start. I don't think like that, you know, I started at the beginning to do a, uh, it was for the show in, uh, in Arc, I believe, the show where Jean Lanier was, uh, who invited Jean Lanier to work with me. I had uh, labels, you know, because it's a museum, so you have to get labels. So I decided to make them flickering, because, you know, of what we talked before about, mm. you know, I was uncertain about that kind mm. of thing of titling and stuff. So I started to flicker, the labels were flickering. And then, uh, and then I did uh, <laughs> another show where the, there was no work, but only a big label, basically, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and then the marquee came from a show I did in, in Berlin where there was nothing inside. Well, I believe there were blinds moving up and, and down. And, uh, but there was the, the marquee outside, you no? Know? Uh, um, flickering. So actually, it kind of reminds me of some pieces that Buren did. Uh, I can't remember which year it was, but he did that amazing piece with the striped. Um, Guggenheim. The, the, but no, no, no. Before then, that you had to, if you if you wanted to enter the museum, you would have had to destroy the work because oh, it yeah. covered the doorway oh, of yeah, the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it must be uh, one of his uh, strategies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't remember. It sounds familiar. Yeah. So, um, so I did that, uh, so what do I want to say? Uh, so the marquee basically, um, uh, I mean the, the label where, where took the place of the artwork that was supposed to be labeled by it, you know? So, and, um, so they came like that and then I started to develop them because uh, it was an interesting thing to do. And, uh, partly because it's occupying our space, which is uh, it's quite decorative. So it's quite, it looks good. Mm. And uh, occupy space, not really occupy by art, you know, it's between ceiling, kind of, you know. And, uh, and then when it comes together as a, and that's the part where I, I go back to my feet, you know, is that when I, when I come together as a, in an exhibition, they are, they are, it's an instrument, you know, so I can play them. And uh, meaning that when they go back to their collection where they belong, decorative objects that they don't do much, you know. They lose their performativity that they gain only when they get to be exhibi exhibited. And um, so that's how I approach that series of objects. 
So this one here for Acme is new. It's a proto object. I don't even it's know where it's going to. Yeah. Uh, and does it go with the screen or does it not go with the screen? What I do you mean, mean, it's behind the screen. Yeah. Would you ever exhibit it without the screen? Because the screen is obviously also functioning as a projection screen. Yeah, maybe we'll see. I have to think about that. So maybe uh, it's, uh, we'll see. I'm going to do that if I keep doing something like that again, or, or that would be it. I'm not sure. So let's come back to the projection booth then, yeah. shall we? With mm -hmm. this um, projectionist. With the projectionist, who I think also, I mean, you've, you've used a, a various kinds of words for the projectionists, uh, sometimes also puppeteers. Yes, puppeteers, and, and, and hosts. Um, but they're doing a lot more than choosing the films, which I believe you're leaving up to them largely, mm. or how they're also announcing the yeah, works. So I, like, I kind of like it with the projectionist, maybe is the right word, because it's introduced also this nice uh, idea of seance. All right, yeah, yeah, okay. You know? And um, which I think is a lovely word, séance. And it's because uh, he says about cinema, séance de cinéma, he also says séance of psychoanalysis, you know? It's the same word, it's a séance. Because it comes with screens, you know? And, yeah. uh, and, uh, and we talked about that earlier because the séance introduces also this idea of a floating attention. There's something that floats in a séance. A séance is a moment. Uh, given where there's a possibly something may happen, no? Something may occur in a séance. That's the definition of a séance. So um, it's an interesting word, séance. So projection is a good one. Mm. Let's stick to that one. Well, they both have the screen association yeah, with them. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that if for English, maybe projectionist does a similar function. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the role of the voice. So they're not just choosing the films, they're also yeah, speaking them into being. I mean, they're telling stories about the films, right? Like you refuse to have the labels or the labels yeah. stood in for themselves or the labels glow in the dark. In this case, the labels are spoken. And if mm. you're not there when they're spoken, then you, then you miss the mm. narrative. Yeah, the labels are... Are they labels? I mean, I'd kind of thought no. of them as being like spoken. They're like labels, yeah. Yeah. They're, like, they're labels, yeah. And uh, they also give a bit of a, a. I don't because I don't put credits in films, you know. So it's also a way to maybe name people when they are to be named, and uh, and it's also to give a context in which a film may be known. There's always a, there's always in a film there's always a a meta story, you no? Know? There's a film and there's a film of the film. So few words sometimes address that part. Because the film, you can experience it, you can like it or dislike it, but it's there, you know? But what you may not know is the structure behind, you know, that produced it. Mm. Make sense? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, but you didn't answer my question. No. That's okay. <laughs> no. um, I'm going quickly through this so we can also have time to actually talk about some of the individual works, which I am which I think is useful and interesting for us both to do, but mm -hmm. uh, the fish, maybe we could revisit the fish in relation to that idea you were talking about earlier of, of floating attention and these elements that, I mean, if you're making the museum into a temporary enclosure, like an aquarium, for example, um, or a music box, then there are these elements that in this particular installation, or not installation, sorry, you hate that word. Yeah. Um, uh, animated by the people who are inside that frame, but also they are themselves animating us mm -hmm. because there is a, an interaction there. Yeah. And you uh, used the fish also at the Tate. 
I use fish at the Tate, I used before in the show in New York, um, and I used them before, even early on in the, for an exhibition, um, yeah, an exhibition called uh, Vicinato, I did in Milan with Carson Hurler and Wicked Tiravanija. There was also fishes floating in the space at the time, so. Which is actually very early, like 90s. Yeah. Five. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the fish. Um, no, they are interesting because it's. Uh, I'm not sure about the metaphor of the aquarium. Really interesting, but uh, it's more a form of animism. You know, it's that they move. They look like something with their eyes. So you can, of course, have an empathy with things with eyes. You know, and they. Um, and they make you aware, if you're not, of the uh, vortex, you know. Of, uh, so it's more that kind of like to uh, see what uh, you see, what uh, you feel, you know. And um, so that's how they appeared into the first, the first time into um, into the uh, into the shows, you know. Mm. It's more this uh, awareness mm. of um, of uh, of air change. Current. Of atmosphere. Atmosphere. Of the building. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of architectural as well yeah. in response to the space. And Absolutely. They're getting trapped near the, near the air conditioning ducts, I notice, below. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and then they sit at the front and watch the movies with everyone. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice. Yeah. But you have a lot of animals in your work. I mean, you have... Um, the the, you, you have the yeast. <laughs> yeah. You have microorganisms. You have the uh, water <coughs> buffalo in the in the boy from Mars. You have a, a cephalopod. You have uh, mm -hmm. uh, many different kinds of animals. And I wa what is with that generally? I have a character also, and Lee is also an animal to me. She is. In a way, yeah, because there's something about. Uh, well, she's not human, and uh, so and it's. Uh, no, because I see, I see uh, the, the way I think we uh, approached that with uh, Pierre at the time was really much on to the, there was two aspects of the project. One was to say uh, um, uh, it's a sign and the sign can produce a collectivity rather the way around, no? So that was one aspect of it. But the other aspect was the fact that uh, we dealt with a, with a fictional being, you know, uh, but with a being nevertheless, you know? Uh, and by giving the, to the being its own right, or copyright, you know, it became, uh, yeah, it, it started to have a sort of weird status, you know, uh, and I kind of was interested by that because there's something about that and becomes a, becomes a monster a little bit, you know. Yeah. There's a monstrosity that was interesting by, in the project and Lee. Like a and, Frankenstein uh, kind of. A little bit, yeah. Because you start to uh, you start to um, you start to blur, which I think is an ongoing uh, uh, history that uh, we are, and today we are doing that clearly more and more. We are, in fact, uh, the relation between the, f the fiction and the, and the real are much more blurry, you know. Um, than the hour before, you know, the, 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 so it's, um, and I'm interested by that, by that blur, you know. What about the whole, you know, post-truth Trump era where yeah, maybe it's, it's a problem that the fiction and reality are a little yeah. bit too interchangeable? But if you were, well, that's, no, of course, but that's a, the contingency of today, but uh, that's not so interesting, I think. I mean, it's interesting, but, but you see what, see what it is, and we have to suffer from we don't have to talk about it anymore. But uh, <laughs> it's, um, no, but in fact, for, you can see that in a daily, daily life, uh, 
if, for example, you say, uh, the truth, you are, an hurricane is announced, you know, on the radio, you know, something is going to up to, uh, you know, and you spend your day kind of like thinking that this possible future, you know, will, will uh, basically change your, change your, your, your now, you know, the time, your present, you know. So in a way, the fiction, and uh, we talked about fiction and science fiction, the future, in a way, change your present or your sense of the present, you know. So in that way, I'm talking about it. I'm talking about that we're much more aware that we actually are affected by, the, by fiction on a daily life, you know. Mm. Mm. How do you think that's changed? I mean, you've been working with these ideas since the 90s, and do you, if the awareness is getting more intensified, how does it change, uh, I don't know, one's relationship to form, to time? Um, I think that, uh, I think that, uh, I think that we have to negotiate our presence every day, all the time, and um, so, uh, so it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a form of an ongoing negotiation, uh, which I found quite fascinating, you know. Mm. Um, we talked about that earlier, you know, with time, you know, and uh, being no longer a measurement, you know, for, for pulse. No, so yeah, pul pulsing time. Pulsing time, yeah. Because I guess in a lot of your works and also in your exhibitions, there, I mean, there is this playing with temporality, in a science fictional kind of way. Like this, this is C. H. said, mm -hmm. continuously habitable zones, mm -hmm. um, and it, I think it is exactly what you're talking about about this idea of the reality and the fiction m merging because it comes <coughs> from the creation of a. A garden that was made only for the purpose of being filmed. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, that. It's also what we talked about the Marquis before. It's a bit also there's, a sense, there's something perverse in it as well. You know that uh, it's literally a film that was produced by a garden. A garden produced a film, so that two-headed beasts. You know that I did before with a, another film boy from Mars where an architecture produced a film and the film produced the architecture. But you, what I like... You mean that very literally. I think we yeah. need to, to explain a little about what that actually... I mean, it sounds extremely poetic, a garden mm. produces a mm. film, but you're very literally yeah. making a garden that produces a film because the garden is a set. Yeah. So maybe you could talk a little bit about the production. In, in that case, the garden was, uh, was produced with only black vegetation and uh, it was, uh, you know... Following up the, the, the hypothesis of uh, of photosynthesis in a dwarf planet, uh, black photosynthesis, you know. Yeah, it's such a great with thing. The, uh, with the uh, with the uh, with the hypothesis of a of a, a planet exposed to a dwarf sun, you know. So I found it and interesting. And it's true. It's a true hypothesis, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And because uh, you wouldn't have green foliage. Yeah, so I found it interesting. The, the, but that was this was you know the science fictional aspect of it, I say you know. And uh, but then what I liked about it that uh, is uh, the, there was two uh, talk two added pieces. There was on one side a film that will uh, be exposed in museums and uh, and be collected and you know. But then there was like this growth, you know, the garden that will survive. So Which is really Portugal. in a site in Portugal, yeah. yeah. And. Uh, so when you, uh, so you have two, the object basically is n it's never, it's not a garden, it's not a film, it's somewhere in between. And um, so you have, uh, you have the, the film in a collection, but then you don't really have 
you just have a film, you know. Mm -hmm. So there's something else linked to it, which is an excess, you know. Uh, uh, the film has an excess; it leaks out in the real, you know, and uh, and it survives or it tries to survive, you know. Oh. Its own production. And you, I mean, you've described the garden also as a kind of monster leakage waste yeah. product of, a, of this production of fiction yeah. by reality. Is, I mean, it's, where is this garden? Could you go there and visit it? Yeah, it's it in Portugal, yeah. And it's, uh, but would, if, if I, say, wanted to go there, would it be very difficult for me to find it? Is it no, I will send you the other. No, I mean, <laughs> not like actually practically. Although maybe it would be interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, but the thing is that it's not, I mean, you could, uh, everybody can go and see it, uh, but it's not so interesting. It no, it's the reason why it's interesting because it's It does have black plants. You did find plants. Well, the, the plants. plants are now sort of like try to get, I mean, they get polluted by the, the other plants. So, uh, <coughs> it's a, it's a, so, so the image is slowly fading away. Mm. Um, and, uh, and that plus the fact that it was shot, it was plant and... Uh, Organized through the point of view of the camera, mm. so some of the shots doesn't make any sense when you walk because mm. it, 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 it's a bit like a weird uh, anamorphosis, you know. If you don't have the point of reference, it's just like a blurb, blurb, blob, you know, kind of form, kind of like thing, you know. Uh, so it's not really so interesting, but I'm, I like I like that precisely the fact that it's a. Uh, an amorphosis is a quite uh, good uh, way to talk about it. It's yeah. an amorphosis. It's uh, on one side you have a film, and the other side you have this thing that doesn't make any sense, you know, because you lose, you lost your point, you lost your your point of origin. So, I mean, doesn't that suggest that you need to create a single point that the spectator inhabits then, and that's the camera that does mm -hmm. that? It sort of imposes this or unifies these two different mm -hmm. temporal, physical the future, the present, the what if, mm -hmm. unified by the camera, mm -hmm. yeah? Yes, because it's not only, it's not only one, uh, unlike an amorphosis, it's only one point of view, no? There you have, a, I don't know, I mean, scenes we have were 10 or 15 scenes, so you have a lot of different point of view. So it becomes a sort of a weird uh, uh, topological aberration, you know, with a, it also does very strange things with scale because when you're watching this film, um, yeah. you know, it, it feels like you're completely disembodied in a way. You're sort of traveling along these tangled black topiary mm. tunnels into emerging into these crystalline yeah. rivers of, I don't even know what that is, but you know. It's crushed glass, yeah. bottles. Yeah. But you artificially created, yeah. yeah, which also looks like you know the surface of an alien planet, or mm. there's this sense of scale mm. changing and shifting. It's quite close. In fact, when you look at it, in, in really, quite, it's quite close to a sort of a, a polluted kind of area. It's a bit mm. like there's sort of a, something a bit strange, which I really like a lot. You know, oh, yeah? doesn't have this, yeah because it doesn't have this kind of idea of a pristine kind of. A, it's more that's why I was saying an excess. It's quite bataille, you know, there's some, it's, it leaks out, you know, it's not, not like, it's not pretty, you know. Da, and, but uh, it is beautiful. Yeah, as an image, it's beautiful, but uh, in, the, in the real, in the real it's, it's less pretty. Yucky. Yeah. Here's the, so this is the field. I mean, yeah. I'm imagining that this would be relatively close to how it might look, right? Yeah, that's yeah. quite big. Yeah. Yeah. But how is that different from a set, for example? I mean, all sets for films are made for the perspective of the camera in a certain mm -hmm. way. Like we might think about this in relation to what you did for Marilyn. Yeah. 
But then the set disappears, you know? Uh, except from this one, from that boy from Mars, this uh, still exists, although it lost completely its uh, functionality because it doesn't produce any electricity anymore. <laughs> So um, that this was, was a, a project you did in 2003 yeah. in Chiang Mai. Yeah. In, oh, sorry, on the land, on Recrete's property in the north of Thailand. Mm -hmm. And the building was producing the electricity that was used to make the film. Mm -hmm. So there's this sort of loop between yeah. the energy and the image and the site. Well, there was a, at the beginning, there was, a, there was a need for this project of Recrete Avenija to uh, have a, an architecture that will produce electricity for the students to come and, you know, and, and be there. So there was a need for a building with uh, electricity. And in order to build it for them, uh, I uh, decided to make a film that I could sell. So that was the story, uh, you know, that was the story. So, but at the so end... So unlike uh, the garden, this, has a, this had another purpose. It had a purpose. Has a that it lost really because the project was, was faded away, you know. Yeah. Uh, Recruit's project, I mean, and that also... Uh, was left ab abandoned, you know, so it became a sort of a, a leftover. Mm. And, uh, and I saw it recently, like a few years ago, I took pictures, it's quite, it's quite, it's, it's also, it's not pretty, you know, it's leftover. And, um, but I like that dichotomy between, uh, between the thing that we uh, see and that, that something else that survives it, you know. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, this is, what is, this is from the cephalopod. This yeah. is from related to the earlier question with the animals. Yeah. So you, you actually have a cephalopod in your studio at the moment. Yeah, I do have a, yeah, I have a, it was shot in the studio, yeah. And um, the cephalopod uh, came uh, into my life. Um, for a show I did in Paris, and uh, it was my first uh, survey show as a, uh, an artist, and uh, and I was wondering how to uh, precisely how to uh, program the exhibition. No? So I asked uh, I asked a guy that always wanted to meet Jaron Lanier, was uh, the inventor of the virtual reality world, you know, and uh, and uh, he invented the dat uh, the data globe, you know, all the. The, the goggles. Goggles, obviously. Yeah. So he was a fantastic inventor. He was also a musician. So I asked him to come and help me to uh, program the exhibition. And uh, we talked a lot, but he didn't program anything. But he came with this. Uh, at the time, he was working on a new uh, computer model that he called Anthropic, a computer that will uh, work without the software. So it will, it will be worked by contact. If a user uses it, then the, the computer becomes smarter, you know? And uh, pretty much like an instrument. So he was working on that, and he said, I don't want to program anything, um, especially not for, for you, but we could maybe address it by, um, by uh, having maybe a, a form appearing each time something is you know, happened into the exhibition. And we talked, and we talked about the, the, the cephalopod, the chromatophore, uh, they change colors and change forms, you know, according to uh, the contact, you know, precisely like the computer you wanted to build. And, uh, and he had this idea, so it would be really great if uh, when something happened to the show, uh, this creature appeared, you know. And uh, so we, we did that. It was his, his uh, uh, contribution to the... And these creatures haunted me since then, so at the end of... Uh, Last year, I decided to uh, to build an aquarium and to uh, have them with me. So they stay in the studio now. And you made a film 
yeah. which is, I guess, not the live version of the event triggering the appearance of a cephalopod, <laughs> but using the program, yeah. uh, which is also in downstairs. Mm -hmm. yeah. The film is downstairs. Yeah. The film yeah. is downstairs. Yeah. Um, can you explain a little bit more about how the cephalopod and the contact and works? It's a, it's a Jaron was talking about the fact that uh, 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 cephalopods they don't have a, they have what he called it a post-symbolic uh, uh, words. I mean, a way of operating, meaning that uh, instead of like using a word to to say something, they become the thing. And uh, and um, so uh, a cephalopod sees an algae or touch an algae and become the algae, you know, because it's a, it's, it's instant is to blend in and to become invisible. Like literally with the camouflage. Yeah, with the camouflage. Yeah. So, um, and then they, you know, then all the studies that have been run through them, uh, we understood that they also uh, can synchronize patterns, you know, to each other to uh, produce, uh, to produce the weird pictures for the predators. So a shark comes and two separate come together and start to synchronize. Uh, patterned and the sharks is afraid because you see the weird creature. <laughs> so they do fantastic stuff like that, and uh, and um, and I was impressed, so well impressed by them because they become um, ultimate form of artists mm -hmm. you know, that can uh, morph and change. You know, but um, that is not representing something. I think it's that post symbolic bit that you're really interested in here. Yeah. This idea that it's not a representation of uh, an algae or a rock or no. an environment, but is actually an extension of it, and yeah. that extension is made through contact, yeah. which I, it can sort of is something that leaks it's out uh, of this work and into other parts of your practice. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, on. I call it envi environmentality. You know, it's a, it's a, viral. It's a, yeah, it's sort of like it's, uh, it becomes sent, uh, conscious of its surrounding, you know, mm. and the surrounding becomes him or the way around, you know. Yeah. So I found it quite fascinating. And in fact, they do, uh, they do have a fantastic brain all over the body, you know. Well, they, they have, have many a lot brains, of great features, they? Yeah, sorry. They have many brains. They have, yeah, they have a fantastic ways of they touch uh, more than we do and better than we do. The only problem they have is that they don't last long, you know, and they don't have a culture either. So that's kind of not good to rule the world, you need a culture, so they don't have a culture. So, but that's what we try to do in this field, we try to teach them, you know, so they become the, they could have a culture. If they have a culture, they can rule the world. This is an alien invasion. Yeah, <laughs> I'm working on it. Yeah. Um, just coming back to that idea of, of the, I mean, this was the first time that you thought about using an external, um, uh, agent, we might say, to mm -hmm. influence like the presentation or sequence or duration of the elements that are inside the museum frame. So there is, I think, this continuing tension between having the rules or the program or the choreography and having this aleatory chance, random mm. um, elements that can't be controlled for example, with the yeast. <coughs> Could you talk a bit about yeah, how I you might... It, it, came, it came out from, uh, from uh, Nicolas, maybe, is there some designer I work with since uh, many years. And uh, in fact, we started to do stuff like that by... Uh, you talked about the box earlier on, you know, that, that my, my, one of the many problems I had with art is precisely the fact that uh, modernity created boxes for everything, no? Mm. 
uh, a box to um, to look at uh, moving pictures, a box to um, listen to music, a box to uh, think inside. Think inside a box for a box for things, you know. And uh, and by uh, by trying to uh, I talked about Nicolas because sound is an element uh, important to the work, you know. Uh, we tried to to open a little bit the box, you know. So the box or the museum start to become uh, um, conscious of its surroundings. So sound will be, you know, um, the sound of the outside will come inside. So um, you did that literally at um, at the Bayer with the with yeah. the water lilies, right? Yeah. But we did that before in in, in Bobur, You know, we did that. Uh, uh, at being was really simple to place a microphone outside. And, uh, and then it became more complex. You know, Nicolas came, for example, with this fantastic idea of uh, of uh, digging the ground and taking uh, taking the, um, the 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 waves, you know, of the of the at the center of the earth and Which bring was, them out. Which was that became the soundtrack for CHZ. Yeah. yeah. But you have that in Bela that shakes, you know, a bit. Uh, so we start to uh, to uh, to uh, to expose the, spa the, 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 the the space, you know, the box, you know. To its uh, to contingencies, you know, to uh, in, in that Tate uh, when the plane is is passing over, you can hear the plane going through the space, through the link. So it's no longer a closed box, but it's open. Yeah. Uh, and um, so that also produced chances, you know, uh, and situations. And live elements. I mean, one thing we do have uh, humans in this show walking around and talking and doing things, but it's I think le less theatrical than some of your other presentations. Mm -hmm. There is this element of theatre, of choreography, of scripting, um, which might we, we might talk about in relationship to ventriloquism or puppetry mm -hmm. or control. Mm -hmm. I mean, who's pulling the strings on those? Or mm -hmm. These are, these are recurring threads. Yeah. So. The ventriloquist of the character. Yeah, ventriloquists. Uh, the ventriloquist is uh, is interesting because especially today with a um, with a technology, some kind of a funny, sort of weird kind of dying art, you know. But I was fascinated by the fact that one of the most fun, uh, well known ventriloquists, I don't remember his name now, back in the uh, last century, was well known because he had the radio show, which I found is fascinating for ventriloquists. Yeah. Um, so in that case, uh, we have uh, we have uh, a voice over the picture, you know, but uh, we have a ventriloc I mean, a lady that talks without opening her mouth because it's a, but it's a film, so it could be exactly, you know, it's uh, so I kind of like it's it's funny, and he has a sort of as a ventriloquist who at the beginning a, a priest, you know, he was uh, making the God speak, and. Um, so it's kind of interesting to go back there a little bit, you know. And uh, for Marilyn, it's the same. There's also uh, the recreation of the voice that Nicola did, which is also a kind of weird thing to do because it's um, of Marilyn's voice. Of Marilyn's voice, yeah. Should we should we talk about that a bit? Yes. I know we're so jumpy, but sorry, people. It's like bang, bang, bang. We're okay though, right? Yeah. I'm fine. It's okay. Um, <laughs> Narrative. <laughs> You're the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> you should be more structured. You know? uh, I don't have. I just don't have it in me. 
let's let's talk about this one because so this is um, this is Marilyn, mm. which also has this element of ventriloquism, which is yeah. also I think going back to you know this idea you mentioned earlier about seance, and we have sort of elements of phantasmagoria of these 19th century yep. or Victorian supernatural mm. almost. Um, aspects to your practice which sit very strangely at some times with the techno with the technological but are both related to technology as an apparatus for making things appear making things visible and making things invisible um, so in this film like the camera for with chz we see through the eyes of yeah. marilyn yeah a space that she inhabited in the 1950s yeah. in new york the hotel room in the waldorf Astoria, and you created three automatons, you said, for the making of this movie. Yeah, uh, we had made the voice first. I mean, the, the, the project really started by, uh, I was intrigued by the fact that maybe, um, because I went through the notes of, so it started like that, I have this book about the notes, it was published uh, recently, you know, the notes uh, she wrote uh, during a, uh, a life, and I was fascinated to read that because I realized that uh, the, uh, the disease she was suffering from a massive depression. And uh, but at the end, it's uh, you could say that it's the first time maybe where it was clear that an image could kill a person. You know, she was killed by her own image. Mm. And uh, so the film was for me that was the starting point. You know, to say, uh, and I wanted to make a phantasmagoria séance in a way that I want to remake. Um, to uh, liberate uh, the, the image, you know, from that traumatic event. And uh, so what we did is that we, uh, what we did, what, what you normally do when you do a phantasmagoria séance, <laughs> is that uh, you, bring, you bring the element that belongs to the person. Did and you do this, for real? Yeah, we had the uh, day before some uh, weird people came and uh, to, yeah, it was a bit spooky. What did you have of hers? What? We had uh, well, we create, we recreated. No, no, we recreated. Yeah, we recreated. Well, let's make it. We recreated so uh, um, uh, handwriting, which was complicated, complex thing to do. Maybe the most complex thing to do, because he had to. Uh, it's, it's difficult to imitate uh, human write, human handwriting, for all the reasons you can imagine. So that was a long process. We did that in Germany with a lab. And, you made uh, a machine. We made the machine, so as you can see, uh, if you notice your own write and writing, an A before an L is not the same thing that an A before a T, and, uh, and an A before a T uh, at the end of a sentence is not the same than the A before a T at the beginning of a sentence. A lot of parameters, yeah. yeah. A lot of parameters. So it was really long and complicated. And then plus, of course, the uh, randomness, you know, of, uh, of friction of the paper and so forth. So it was a complex thing to do. And then we had that. And then we, Nicola did the voice uh, of Marlene, which was basically did with, uh, he worked with IRCAM, the National Center of Research in Music in Paris, and uh, reproduced the prosody of the voice. And we mapped that prosody of the voice onto a puppeteerian. Puppeteer was an actress who would say the word, no, with intonation. So, uh, and you and wrote then, a script? Yeah. No, there was no script. It was more uh, the voice basically described what the eyes see, what you see. And uh, and then there's the camera, and then the, what uh, what the camera is the eyes, and uh, but you see the camera, uh, the handwriting, and the voice they all operate on the same algorithm. Okay. So uh, it's basically an algorithm that brings uh, uh, a person al alive, you know, and. Uh, 
And if you have the signature, the eye and um, the handwriting, the eye and the voice, you have basically a biometric portrait. Mm. So uh, it's enough for a computer to, 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 uh, to decide that you're alive, you know? Or you have a passport or whatever, you know? So, so, uh, so that was the project, yeah. A bit spooky. I, I, it's one of my favorite films in, mm -hmm. the, in this particular um, iteration. Mm -hmm. and, but what I also like about it is the way the machine, I mean, the entire film is a machine yes. and it is machinic in its vision. But when it is inserted into a space like this with the, uh, with the sort of the automation of the system around it, there's a way that it relates to its own context. Mm -hmm. um, and I also like the way it's so anthropomorphic. I mean, there's this, there's this moment in the film where it's almost like the machine starts to lose its mind. Yes. You know, it stops having the capacity to produce script mm -hmm. as, if, as if writing or the logos or the word is this sign of its, um, uh, you know, selfhood yeah. in a way. But it becomes this lost... I mean, it's very dramatic. It's a yeah. super dramatic, very but because at, at, movie, at the beginning, right? of course, you want to... Uh, you say, oh, great, it's a fiction. You really know it's nice. It's cosy, you know, and... Uh, and then, no, because fiction is cozy, you know, it's kind of nice, you, are, you have a distance between you and that, you know. Uh, and then slowly you understand that, uh, because you want to believe, you know, you want to believe that it's mind Monroe's voice, you want to believe that. But then you start to realize that uh, the automaton, precisely because it's an automaton, can do anything but repeat itself, you know. Mm -hmm. So the words start to come back again and again, and then after a while you start to realize that you are in, into this weird and canny valley where... Mm -hmm. It looks human, but it's not human, you know, mm. and uh, and therefore uh, spooky. Psychosis, and I mean that the the woman who was destroyed by her becoming an image is then brought to life through image technology, and mm. it falls apart as mm. it is me made mechanical mm. or in some way. So mm. there's all, again all these boundaries between what is alive and what is dead, and yeah. that. That, that particular border between the living and the reality and what does it mean for an image to be alive is mm -hmm. something that I find, I mean, that's really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. what, yeah. is, what are the parameters there? Um, this was the last one that we wanted to talk about. How's our time? Okay. So this is Li Yan. Yeah. Um, I've also I picked it because it. it's one of my favourites, but I mean... <laughs> It's in some ways a sequel to The Invisible Boy, which we didn't really talk about, mm -hmm. but is in the film. But I just wanted to flag it here, mainly because unlike uh, your other film projects, this work incorporates elements of your other films inside it, as if they were characters almost. Yeah. So this film is like a retrospective of your film. I, that's how I see it. A mini retrospective. A mini retrospective yeah. within the site, within just that yeah. filmic duration. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's again, there's always few layers in, the, in, in things, but uh, uh, the retrospect of the film is that the fact that I would think about that when I did a show at Armory, when I presented a few films in the screen, and uh, I would think that maybe uh, the space of, if there will be retrospect of films, uh, it should be a film, you know, mm -hmm. it, should be the, it should be a film. So I started to work on this idea, and, uh, and, uh, and since I always re-edit the film that I do, uh, I know I started to play again with a form of footage and I introduced them to this one and then 
there's few iterations of it. The first time I was shown, the film was shown last, last year was a total different version. This was a new edit. Um, so it's also that is that today it's easy to edit films constantly. So Marilyn, there's a lot of version of it. And uh, now we believe we screened the one with Morton Feldman music, but at uh, beginning there was a music by uh, uh, Artolince, and the editing was quite different. The crowd also, there are a lot of different versions of it. So, What does that do for the people who are collecting your work? I mean, uh, just sort of it's a nightmare, but. Uh, do you send them the new version when you Yeah, I do. It? I keep sending them a upgraded version. So if you. The 3.0 version. Right. <laughs> That's great. But then it's not, it's not, but it's, it's, a, it's more a problem for, uh, for art historians because you don't know exactly, and even people are confused because you say, which one again I'm going to show, you know, it's, it's confusing. Oh, which one so, have I seen as well, yeah. Yeah, which yeah. one you think. So the so film uh, change over time, and uh, I mean, there's something that they will keep doing, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, it will be harder, I think, to do it with an object because oh, people yeah, may freak sure. out, although... <laughs> uh, I also for the Christmas for that channel. Well, you can do it with the maquettes. You yeah. can redo the maquettes. No, but it's uh, it's uh, it's uh, <laughs> the reason why is that uh, I was fascinated years ago by um, by uh, um, those uh, as a metaphor, you know. But uh, sometimes they're useful. Uh, in uh, in Mali, you have this object that create that was created back in 19th century. Now you don't you have fake, but uh, for a while that was really uh, operated uh, really well. So, and they're called um, I don't remember the name now. Um, Bully, Bully. Uh, and the bullies are, are these objects that come for, from for men rituals, you know, and they are in the shape. They're made of uh, blood and you know tissues and um, fetus you know, stuff, you know. That uh, and they come to the ceremony and uh, they do their part. And then when the ceremony is over, the priest will bring the bully back to uh, his house. And we'd be fed by uh, grass, uh, blood, uh, stuff, you know. So when the body will come out from the, for the new ceremony, it will have a slightly different form. Right. To eventually by, by uh, becoming oblong. So there's a continuity yeah. so, even if the external... So, and I like a lot because it's a fact, it's, uh, it says uh, really clearly that, uh, that uh, each time an object is exposed, Change. It changes, yeah. It changes. That, yeah. Duchamp said it many times yeah. already, so we know that, but it's literally the case for in, that, uh, in those ceremonies. You know? And I do believe that art is also doesn't really escape the, the ceremony. You know? it's, it's also a ceremony. It was created, in fact, not so long time, like, what, 200 years ago? People started to build museums for art. It's not a long history. And, uh, well, we have a lot older and, uh, and uh, Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, well, you can talk about that. Well, I think we're out of time now. Oh, yeah. Really? And, so uh, much more we can talk about. Yeah, so it's a, so it's a form of yeah, it's a form of ritual, you know, the show the, the exhibition change the object it's supposed to be presented. Mm. Are we good? Ah, Are we done? Yeah. Done. Yeah. Good. Um, but thank you for a fascinating conversation. You've touched touched on so many different areas of Philippe's work. Yeah. Um, so thank you everyone for coming. I hope you will all come back many times to see the exhibition, as we've said a few times. Every time you come back, you're going to see something different, so it's a very different experience. Uh, and please join me in thanking Amelia and Philippe. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to an ACME podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloud.com slash acmeonline 
or the Acme website.